Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. This week's episode is brought to you by Nupi Ecolux Nappies and Pants. Made with 70% plant-based sustainable and renewable materials, and their packaging is made from paper. Nupi is an award-winning New Zealand and woman-owned social enterprise company making premium Ecolux nappies and pants that are non-toxic, chemical-free, and made with Manuka Hydrosol, a world first. By harnessing this plant power with the latest technology, they have created nappies that are naturally antibacterial, which may inhibit the growth of bacteria, preventing nappy rash. Because a nappy that is better for the environment is better for your baby too. Noopy nappies have a cotton blend outer, making them super soft and comfortable, hypoallergenic, breathable and lightweight. They are also performance driven with up to 12 hours of leak protection, giving parents peace of mind because a healthy baby is a happy baby. For Kiwi Birth Tales listeners, we are running a very special giveaway, which includes a free carton of Noopy nappies, pants or natural baby wipes. Head to the Kiwi Birth Tales Instagram to enter and another huge thank you to Noopy for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. I absolutely love their nappies and baby wipes and I'm obsessed with their packaging. So if you haven't seen it yet, you have to go and check out their Instagram because it is just so beautiful. To find Noopy, you can go to their Instagram, which is at NoopyNZ, spelled N-O-O-P-I-I-N-Z. Or on Facebook, they are facebook.com forward slash nupi.co.nz and the website is www.nupi.co.nz. Another huge thank you to the ladies at Nupi for being this week's sponsor of the podcast. In this week's episode of the podcast, I speak with Rebecca about her most recent birth story in which she was a surrogate for the lovely Tess and Dan and gave birth to the beautiful little boy Ziggy. And Rebecca takes us through their surrogacy journey, so sort of the um, ins and outs of surrogacy in New Zealand from the start. And you can also listen to her previous episode, which I'll link in the podcast show notes, um, which talks through the surrogacy sort of process as well. And then we jump into her pregnancy and how Tess and Dan were a part of that and then into her birth story. So Rebecca's birth was very different again to her two previous births. One was um, a hospital birth, which she had quite a lot of medical interventions in. Then she had a really beautiful home birth in the pool. And this time she had planned for a home birth, but actually ended up being induced in hospital. So Rebecca talks us through what it was like to have this different birth experience again, how she managed to fight for herself and her rights in hospital and giving um, birth in the water when she really wanted to do that. That was really important to her. So she talks us through that. And then we talk about some postpartum birth complications and how she's sort of 
dealt with the surrogacy from a mental health perspective, I think um, it's really important that we listen to what Rebecca has to say and understand how she has sort of found the whole experience from her perspective. I think this is an awesome episode where she's able to give us her thoughts, her perspectives, and not have um, anyone else put words in her mouth. So I'm really happy for Rebecca to be able to share this episode with you all. And yes, I'm absolutely hoping to have Tess and Dan on the podcast too, to share their sort of version of events, but just really grateful that Rebecca was willing to come on the podcast and share her story. And I will stop talking now and we can jump into it. Enjoy. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. No worries. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you, um, who's in your family, what you've recently been doing, just in case um, anyone hasn't heard your story before? Yeah, so um, I am Rebecca and I live in Christchurch uh, with my husband and my two children. Um, so Rocky is six, almost seven, and Ruby's just turned five. Um, and yeah, we just hang out down here. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And you've just um, given birth to beautiful little Ziggy. Um, so do you want to talk us through, I guess, just a really brief overview um, of that and then we can sort of jump into it in a bit more detail? Yeah, cool. So um, I just gave birth like a week and a bit ago, a week and a half ago, um, I don't even know, time's just like flown by, and yeah. I gave birth to, uh, like Jordan said, a little boy called Ziggy, who was a wee surrogate baby, so I <laughs> um, just whipped him out and gave him to his parents, really, <laughs> and that, that's literally how it went, um, so yeah. yeah, it was a bit of a wild ride, which I think we'll get into, but um it's just kind of crazy that it's all done. It's like, yeah. it's quite a weird thing. It's like, almost like, you know, people talk about like the post-wedding blues when you get married and then you're like, oh, God, yeah. that was just all there and it's finished. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I think um, when we last recorded your podcast, you might have been like just in the starting phases of it. Like you'd done a few of the appointments, but I don't think you were pregnant yet um, when we last talked. No, I don't think I was either. I actually don't remember, but I don't think I was. Um, mm. And we just started going through the kind of, well, we were maybe like a bit into the process, which takes yeah, quite a while. Yeah. So it's like a uh, probably from when we like, we're like, yes, we're going to do this. It would have been about a year, a year and a bit um, from yeah. start to the embryo transfer. So it's quite a long yeah. time, but now it seems like I blinked and it's like, oh, it's like done. Like done. I feel like it's so quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, I guess just a bit of the sort of process stuff, um, around surrogacy. So, uh, I know we talked about that a bit on your last podcast and I'll make sure that I link it so that people can listen to that too. But, um, do you want to talk us through, I guess, the, the counseling or the things that you have to do from that perspective to make sure everybody's on board on the same page um, before you do anything else? Yeah. So basically you start with, um, with, I think the first step is like a medical to make sure you're actually kind of able to safely carry um, someone else's child. And then once I passed that, we jumped into counselling. So I think I had to do two counselling sessions on my own 
two with my husband and then we did one joint with the four of us. So Tess and Dan yeah. and myself and Jared. Um, and we probably took quite a while to do it just with like me having, you know, my kids and life and also Tess and Dan live in Wellington and we live in Christchurch. So it probably took us a full year to get that done. Um, and then from there, we've also got lawyers. So we had to see and have a lawyer. Tess and Dan obviously um, have a lawyer. They had to have Oranga Tamariki visits and assessments. Um, and then everyone puts together their little reports and that goes before the ethics committee. So that is like a group of medical professionals, I assume. I actually don't know. And yeah. they decide your fate, really. And it's it's that was the most nerve-wracking part of the process for mm. me because it's just like a random group of people. Yes, they're like professionals in their field, but you don't you're also anonymous. So you don't get to like build like character or like anything like that. It's just this yeah, like right. anonymous reports that they're reading to decide if um you know, if you're if A they are able to do surrogacy and B if I'm the right fit for them. So Mm. That took, I think we had to have our application in um, on like in November and then we found out, and then they break for Christmas, that was fun, um, and then we found out in I think like late January that we were like good to go and then the transfer was booked for the 5th of March, I'm pretty sure was when we popped we Ziggy in there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And obviously um, Jared was like, all on board because that's one of the questions that came through like a fair bit was how did how did Jared feel about um you being a surrogate and how that might sort of impact your relationship yeah so um that's something I get asked heaps as well when I talk about it and um like first and foremost you could not do this I remember I had a question from someone who said like my husband's not keen but I'm like I just want to do it anyway you absolutely 100% cannot do it if you're and not even just your husband like if if people follow me they'll know that I've banged on about our village because honestly the, the the like the way people and our friends and family rallied around us for just really because they're good people and they love us. Like they, mm. you know, got nothing out of this. Um, and obviously it's the same with like your husband. If your husband, A, you won't get through the ethics committee or the counselling or anything because you have to have them actively involved if they are yeah. your spouse. Um, but I couldn't have done this without Jared. And I don't think I realised at the start how much I would rely on him. Mm. I don't know. And he has been amazing like out of this world cannot even describe it like amazing um and like I think he's the only person out of me and the kids and him that didn't actually complain during my pregnancy (laughs) or say something like oh like or like the kids Rocky would say I can't wait till you can bend over and pick your own stuff up and I was like cool um and I think that he's the only person who didn't complain or be like well you're the one who wanted to do this like it was Mm. me and the kids who were like real like antsy so I think as far as it goes you definitely want to have a pretty strong relationship in that sense that it never once worried me from the start of the process till now that he wasn't going to be on board and give it his all and be like a supportive husband and if I had any doubt about that I wouldn't have done it and I can hand on heart say that and same with like going back to not just Jared but like 
our people and our families, this was a huge sacrifice for them as well. And I don't know if I realised that at the start. Mm. Um, they were always, like, fully on board. But at the same time, they pro- they had to do a lot more than I think we probably all expected them to do. <laughs> yeah. But, again, no one complained. Everyone was happy to do it. So Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And um, I guess in terms of your relationship with Tess and Dan and um, I guess the plan through your pregnancy and what your birth might look like and all that sort of stuff, how um, how much, I guess, of a say did they have? Like were they um, – I think there was a question, did they have a say over what you were eating during your pregnancy? Like how involved were they in terms of, um, you know, this is what we want you to be doing for our baby kind of thing? Um, they had very little say. I think, again, it's not something I would have done had uh, I felt like it would have been like a controlled environment. Um, As far as like the birth goes, I, right from the start, had the mindset and verbalised, communicated with them that it's their baby but my birth. So they didn't necessarily get a say in the birth, but they also did because we were always on the same page and communicating. Yeah. And we wanted the same things. If it had been a couple that that wasn't um, something that we were all on the same page about, again, I probably wouldn't have done it. So these Mm. are all like, there's so many conversations and questions and like this is why the counselling is so important right from the start because these were conversations that nothing was a surprise. It wasn't like, oh, um, like example, if I had a C-section, I had said right from the start, Jared was coming with me because yeah. I was at that point quite terrified of like made like surgery. And mm. I think that it was more important for me to feel safe and comfortable and like secure in that environment um, because they would have got their baby straight away. But yeah. for me having surgery, it was really important that I had who I wanted there. Um, yeah. So that was like, for an example, that was one thing that that was like a non-negotiable for me. Um, And so that was communicated very early on so that if that had come to that, it wouldn't have been like a shock for them. Um, But in in as far as pregnancy goes, I took took supplements that Tess had asked me to take, so like totally fine. So there's obviously like room for, um, for them to say, hey, this is really important to us. What do you feel about this? But again, it's just all communication. As far as diet goes, <laughs> um, poor Tess didn't get a say at all. And we um, <laughs> live quite different lifestyles um, and our lifestyle choices are quite different. Uh, so I'm sure that I carried Ziggy differently than she probably would have. But again, it was never something I felt. It was never an issue. It was never like a – I just we just know that. Like we mutually know that yeah. we um, – that he's probably eaten more like McDonald's than he will in his <laughs> lifetime kind of thing already inside my womb. Cool. And um, I guess if we jump into the pregnancy, um, do you want to take us through like finding out you were pregnant and what that experience was like and then how you felt um, physically in that first trimester? Yeah, so um, so once we had the transfer, I'm going to try and remember. It seems like it was so long ago and it like really wasn't. So once we had the transfer done, uh, I think I could be wrong, but I feel like it was maybe, uh, I want to say either five or 10 days after. I feel like it's 10 days. 
that you do um, blood tests and that's how you obviously determine if you're pregnant or not. Um, and when we did the blood tests, they were – my HGC level was quite low, but it was still pregnant. And it was quite interesting. There's been so many interesting things. Um, and they were like, it's still fine, but we want to get another blood test in like three more days to make sure it's doubled. And – like they said at the time, I guess with the other kids, I never got blood tests. Um, or I never knew my HGC levels because mm. it was not an, like it was just like you're you're pregnant. So like they said that some people just have really low um, HGC levels like immediately, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. So that was quite a like weird three days waiting for the next sort of blood test because I didn't know whether it was like normal or not. Which mm. turns out it obviously was that that that's just how my body reacts to pregnancy like, you know, that early on, because we're talking, like, very early on. Um, And then, yeah, it was quite cool. So I rang – I think that we had an agreement where if I was pregnant, they would ring me and I would ring Tess. But if I wasn't pregnant – they would ring Tess so that I didn't mm-hmm. have to give her the bad news. Yeah. Um, but I don't even remember how it all worked out. But anyway, I was pregnant and super fortunate that it worked first go. Um, I think that we were quite lucky in the sense that I don't – they don't actually have fertility um, struggles or issues or any complications there. It's just that Tess doesn't have a womb. Mm-hmm. So as far as, like, IVF making the baby, it was – you know, we had great success with that um, – purely based around that and then I am obviously reasonably sticky and so it just stuck in there um and then yeah it was a very easy pregnancy I definitely got so like I did with the other kids as well uh, I get nauseous in the first trimester I don't get like violently ill or sick I just feel yeah. hungover and disgusting for the whole time uh, so that was really fun because that was lockdown so mm. I had kind of always like knew that I'd feel like shit in that first trimester, but I didn't expect to have my two children home and not be able to just nap and like eat hash browns and <laughs> things like that. So that was really, really hard. Um, and also Jared's an essential worker. So he was working um, shift mm. work the whole time. And so it was just a really crappy scenario but it was also fine like you blink and it's over Mm -hmm. and now I'm like what was I complaining about um and basically when I hit like 11 I think I'm like 11 weeks I just completely come right and I'm totally fine so I don't know it's been um I just remember I think with my first pregnancy with Rocky I was working full-time and then with Ruby the kids are quite close together so I had a one-year-old the whole time I was pregnant um, and so I just expected this pregnancy to be way worse than it was. And mm. maybe because I like set the bar so low, it, like, I don't know, but it was the most amazing pregnancy. I, um, I, like, I just, it was, I was so lucky to have such a good pregnancy. I do genuinely think, and I'll probably talk about this lots, that karma comes into play a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. surely when you're doing this for someone else, like, yeah. <laughs> the like pregnancy gods are like, yo, we're going to give you a good one. Like, you're just going to cruise on through. Um, yeah. So, yeah, pregnancy was amazing. I, um, yeah, just, like, hung out. And then I I never felt really tired or really heavy, even right at the end there. I didn't – I wasn't desperate to, like, have the baby because I didn't – like, I still didn't – like, I wasn't napping. It was just Mm. the most bizarre thing because I think I was comparing it to being pregnant with Ruby, which I remember being so much worse than with Rocky. But, 
like I kept reminding myself there's five years between pregnancies yeah. so I'm not running around after a one-year-old I'm not doing all of these other things like my kids can make toast and milo like they can survive <laughs> on that so yeah. they were semi self-sufficient and I think that made a really big difference um with that big age gap yeah yeah awesome and um in terms of the care that you were under did you go with a midwife or did you have an obstetrician what was your choice there yeah, so we went with a midwife again. Like, we obviously had a conversation with Tess and Dan about it. Um, Fertility Associates, who is what we did our, um, like, everything through, they, uh, I remember having conversations with the doctor who was quite, like, not, like, pushy at all, but, like, she was quite, had a, more of a preference for us to have an obstetrician. Um, but I was really keen to have the midwife I had with Ruby and my sisters recently used, um, Yes, she's and now I just honestly I'm so grateful and thankful that I had her um and that that was not an issue for Tess and Dan again these are all conversations that we had had prior to becoming pregnant um and they were really respectful of what I wanted because again it was that mantra of my birth their baby kind Mm. of thing and I needed to feel comfortable and secure um and what I was doing and that was having Hef as my midwife yeah yeah awesome cool and did you have um much of a birth plan or sort of thoughts on how you wanted your birth to go initially yeah so I um have had three very different births (laughs) um I did I did joke that to a doctor that I was just trying to like tick off all the birth experiences because I love childbirth um and yeah, so I had uh, Rocky in hospital um, with a bit of medical intervention and a pretty long um, labour, and then I had Ruby at home, and so I had planned to have Ziggy um, at home, and we were all set to do that, but um, that's not what happened. And <laughs> I think it's this is something that I really want to talk about because I think it's so interesting that um, when we get into my birth a bit more, it'll make more sense. But I've already had too many people message me deciding that it was a traumatic um, yeah. experience for me or telling me that I must be so disappointed that I didn't get the birth that I wanted or that I planned for. And, like, that fucks me off so much. Yeah. Yeah. I just And, like, who are these people to decide what my experience was? And I think it's just really it, – it's so important to talk about because it shows our mindset around mm. – birth and what um I don't know what's like not right or wrong but like I had such an incredible experience it wasn't what we planned whatsoever but not once in the process of being admitted to hospital till giving birth to till coming till the second has anything been like not what I wanted or like that I'm disappointed with or anything it's It's so interesting isn't it like we create this narrative that because you didn't get like you might have planned for a particular birth experience but you weren't like so close-minded might not be the right word but you were open to other experiences if they had to happen and I think that makes such a difference to how we feel about our births in the end. And I think, yeah, other people often create this narrative that, oh, you didn't get the birth that you talked about wanting, so therefore you must feel really shitty and it must have been such a traumatic time for you. But um, actually that's not the case at all. Oh, 100%. That is not – like I am so, so stoked with how everything went went a bit pear-shaped at the end. But even that, that's not – 
that's not traumatizing for me and that's purely because of my mindset at the time and um yeah it's just been really interesting Mm. that so many people have decided that I had a really when I've not once portrayed anything in a negative light um like at all and that other people have decided that it was like a negative experience it's so interesting just how that's kind of like played out but yeah, we planned for a home birth um, and we had the pool and everything. Uh, and then I was, I had been like, so again, if you follow me, I had been quite swollen for quite a few weeks and I was getting many messages like, you know, be careful, like preeclampsia. And I kept saying like, everything's fine. And at that point it was because I was being monitored. I'd had numerous blood tests. I'd done urine tests. I'd, I was doing everything. And, um, it wasn't abnormal for me to swell. I get quite swollen with the other two kids as well, but real fluidy. Yeah. So uh, I was, but then at the same time, I'm very conscious of having, you know, almost 40,000 people watching that I wasn't downplaying the seriousness of being swollen mm-hmm. because I totally can joke about it. But I also understand that for some people, it's very, very serious. Um, and then that kind of came and went and it did tend to come and go with like hot days and like if I was doing too much and things like that. Um, but then we, when I was, uh, I think I was, th- so I would have been 38 and a half weeks. I had a high blood pressure as well. And so that was the first time I had any other symptoms other than the swelling. And so I was sent for pretty urgent blood tests and um, the urine test, which I think is more important and that my midwife rang and was like yo B we need to get you up to hospital and I was like cool (laughs) um so that was kind of the end of well actually I didn't know I guess I maybe was still a little bit like optimistic but I also was like not looking good and by the time we got up to hospital it was quite late and um my midwife stayed with us till like 11 o'clock or something that night and she was like it's they are gonna want you to birth in hospital um which that's when I found out I wasn't going to have the home birth but I never once hand on heart felt any anything like negative or scary mm. or um this isn't what I wanted about that I was very calm and confident and um and still turning it into a, a beautiful birth experience, even if it was in hospital. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so do you want to take us through, I guess, you arrived in hospital um, and then they told you you'd be staying there and being induced or what sort of happened from there? Yeah, so when my midwife called to say um, your urine's not good, I was like, damn, urine. <laughs> um, she was like packing overnight bags. So this was about this was about three or oh, probably about four o'clock in the afternoon. And it was quite good. The kids had gone, a friend had taken the kids after school. Um, and so she called and was like, and I, I'd had my eyelashes, um, I'd had my eyelashes, what's it called? Lifted <laughs> that morning. So I couldn't cry. So my mum and Jared were both here and I was like, I have to go to hospital, but I can't cry about it because I've got my eyelashes <laughs> done. So um, I never cried about it. But even if I did cry, it was just like more of an overwhelmed mm. feeling um, than anything else. And so I was told, my midwife told me to pack an overnight bag. And I'm really glad that I was quite naive because I didn't really think about it too much. I packed an overnight bag. But I also was like, okay, I should probably put together like an actual bag for the hospital. Mm. So I quickly threw together like the maternity. It's very weird packing a hospital bag without baby stuff. So 
I was like, am I even like packing this right? Like, do I have everything? Because you just immediately, I don't know, it was just really weird not having the baby mm-hmm. stuff in there as well. Um, so I quickly kind of threw together a, a long term, like you're going to have a baby, not, not a week's worth, but enough for like a few days, um, together so that someone could bring that up to the hospital the next day, which now in hindsight, I should have just taken it with me then. Um, but I was again, like I said, a bit naive and I was like, eh, we'll be fine. I'll be coming home. Uh, so then when we got, by the time we went to, uh, Jared took me through the BK drive-through because I was like, this could be my last supper. And it pretty much was. And then we went up to the hospital and uh, met my midwife up there and kind of just hung out in like this assessment room with a bunch of other women dealing with um, a bunch of different things. And yeah, that's when she told me that it would be a hospital birth and um, kind of explained a bit about preeclampsia because I hadn't really looked into it whatsoever. Um and yeah, then we, I was, ad- oh, I slept in this like assessmenty room with like six other women overnight, which they gave me sleeping tablets. And I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. I didn't think I'd be allowed those, but you are. Um, and they gave me earplugs. And so that was a pretty horrific night's sleep, but which I was quite worried about because I thought I'd be induced. I was also told that I would be induced and I thought it would happen pretty much the next morning, um, which it didn't. I was quite low risk um, preeclampsia. So my pre-PT or preeclampsia uh, was basically purely because it was an IVF pregnancy and it wasn't my genetic material. It wasn't my embryo. And so it's not, it's, I found it so interesting. So the whole preeclampsia thing, it's not something that say if Jared and myself had another five children, it's not something that I'd probably get again. Mm. So it was purely just the fact that it was Tess and Dan's um, embryo. So that's also, I think why it was quite mild um, and didn't kind of have any issues like right till the end. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. I think, um, yeah, I get a lot of questions about preeclampsia, but it's interesting that um, it was more just because it was an IVF pregnancy rather than your own, I guess, um, sort of makes sense in a way. Yeah, and um, I also found out that even if you were to have a child with like another baby daddy, um, the same thing can happen. You could have had no preeclampsia yeah, for right. more pregnancies and then his DNA can also like put, put, put it off. Right. So it was quite interesting. Um but like I said, I was very mild. I had no other symptoms um, apart from, yeah, that that quick blood pressure kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And then it was showing up, obviously, in the urine test. But apart from the swelling and the slight blood pressure rise, I had, so like every, like 10 times a day, I'd be asked the same questions. Do you have a headache? Do you have upper abdominal pain? Do like, <laughs> I could probably remember them all. Um, and I never had any other kind of symptoms. So it was very mild in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And did you, I forgot to ask you before, did you do any like antenatal classes or any birth education? Um, I know you're a big fan of the Ina Mae Gaskin book. So did you do anything else there sort of in preparation for birth? Um, so I read the book again. That's my third time I read it before you read the um, and it was very interesting reading at this time because even when I talked to you last time, I probably like joked about like certain parts of it. But this time, like just being like older, I've really appreciated everything pregnancy and birth and like 
what my body has like done and how different everything has been um from like all my different pregnancies and births and like I really appreciate that and when I read anime this time there were so many bits I was like oh my gosh I was way too immature to like take this in last time I read it when I was 23 or 24 or whatever and so I really enjoyed and I think I normally joke about like the, there's a chapter on like orgasmic birthing experiences and I'm normally like oh just skip that but oh my god I found it so mm. interesting this time so um so I read that book and I did not have an orgasmic <laughs> birthing experience but like I still yeah. read that bit um and I can like see how people would like it's it would just like made so much more sense to me now I'm closing in on 30 and so wise um and I did um your birth um online program thing is it my birth course or my birth project your birth project (laughs) (laughs) what is it your birth project I was like hold on um so I also did that and I actually um had done bits of it just like kind of randomly and then I when I was in hospital it was amazing to go back over the um induction sections and things like that because I guess I kind of was quite naive when I went through it the first time and like didn't take in all of that information Mm. because I was like not going to happen to me I've already had two births like totally fine um and so when I was in hospital I actually went back over your course and picked out bits that were now all of a sudden really relevant (laughs) to me and actually read them properly and like retained the information so I really enjoyed that um like I was sitting in the in the induction like being induced and reading (laughs) about induction and what happens so um it was really nice to be able to do that because I could have googled it and I would have been so overwhelmed um yeah so I um actually really enjoyed kind of doing it but then going back and really refocusing on bits that were more applicable to me all of a sudden but those that's the two only two things um that I did and uh yeah that's anime Gaskin's my go-to I'll do that forever um and I'll tell everyone to read that forever um and then yeah I did um your course added in there as yeah, well awesome cool and um do you want to take us through I guess the start of your induction process and um how that day sort of played out yeah so I when I got admitted on the Wednesday night I like I said I assumed I'd be induced um yep. Thursday morning and I was then told that I would be induced Friday morning um again I was quite low risk and also it was our public holiday Christchurch anniversary was on the Friday. And so I remember talking to one of the midwives and she was like, we, this is the busiest we've like ever been. And I think it was to do with as well, like doing like scheduled C-sections on the, um, they were like smashing them out because the Friday was a public holiday kind of thing. Um, and so they were like, I kind of got bumped a little bit, which was fine. I, um, I shared a room the for. I, I shared a room Wednesday, Thursday night, and then um, Friday morning was brought down to like the maternity assessment ward for to start the induction. Um, and again, I was just real chill. Like I was quite naive. Like at this point, I hadn't done the extra reading on induction <laughs> or anything, and I was like, "Cool, let's just go see how this goes." Um, I think I just had a really good attitude the whole time about everything, and that it was kind of out of my control and. I didn't, even then I started getting people message saying, oh, I had the worst <laughs> induction. I'd only heard basically mm-hmm. negative things about being induced. Um, 
And I had actually listened to Hannah Lighty's podcast, though, in the, like, mm. what, a couple of weeks before. Um, so I did have that quite fresh in my memory, which was quite good because, obviously, that was a positive induction story. But already I started getting people saying, like, oh, my God, this is the worst, like, blah, blah. And I was like, Give me a break. Off. Like, do you actually think this is what I want to be, like, surrounding myself yeah. with right now? And I know people just don't think none of it was, like, it was people sharing yeah, their yeah. experiences yeah. with me, and that's absolutely fine. It's just, like... Yeah, a little bit of common sense here. Um, so I was very relaxed about the whole situation. And so I was induced, you might be able to help me, with a oral dose of something. No, I don't know. I've never heard of the oral dose before. Okay. So it's – okay, so it's – I was actually going to have this prepared to talk about because – um, it's a new drug that this is so bad. I'm actually googling it right now. Um, but basically, it's a uh, you have an oral dose of this water substance, tastes like nothing. Um, every two hours, and that's all you do. So it was a very relaxing, gentle, and you just like hang out and like chill and like. I think I knew inductions could be quite long, but I was also like, we're totally having a baby soon because everyone kept saying to me, oh, you've had two babies, like that you'll be, you'll, this will kick off like straight away. So I was like, okay, cool. And then, um, what? So I started the induction process on Friday morning and I then, I think for me as well, I, my waters have broken with both other kids. So Mm. that's how I start labor. Um, they break spontaneously. So I was probably like second doubting myself and questioning whether I was having like tightenings um or contractions or if I was it was all in my head because for me the start of labor is having my waters broken so we did that so they do it for um I think eight doses and then they give you six hours off so basically like I started at 7 30 in the morning on the Friday and then I think I had my last dose at 11 o'clock that night so that then I could sleep till 5am or 6am or something or 5am because it was six hours they give you off and then you start again and it's just um I believe one of the doctors I spoke to said that it's actually halved their cesarean section rate and from from inducing so I yeah so the drug is called misoprostol and it's like I said it tastes like nothing and it's just given to you you just take it orally in a syringe and it's um a really gentle method of induction. So but I guess the plan, I think what it does is just kind of, I actually don't know because I don't ask questions <laughs> and I'm like so chill and I'm like, cool, let's just do this. Um, but it, it just gets things going and I probably didn't start feeling anything till later in the first day. But then again, like I said, I really like questioned myself. And then um, by we went for quite because I hadn't been outside in three days or something so I don't think we left the building till Saturday and I'd been in there since Wednesday night um so we went we're very fortunate here in Christchurch our hospital is surrounded by um the Botanical Gardens and Hagley Park and so we'd be able to get out and about and I also like knew that like walking was good just from like movies and stuff they always go for a walk um so we were able to get out and about and do some walking and things like that and then on the Saturday, I think poor Jared had no idea it was going to take so long and neither did I, but I was also like kind of new, like I knew inductions could take a long time. So he's like sleeping. I'm like, you're not allowed to leave because I'm definitely about to go into labor and I wasn't. So he just kind of had to 
sleep on a lazy boy and um, not leave my side. Um, he actually had to apply for a job and the close off was like the Sunday night. And so on Saturday morning, I was like, you need to go and because uh, you had to do it on like a work computer. I was like, you need to go and do that because you're not going like tomorrow's like it's going to be all on. Um, and so glad that he did. So we, yeah, just kept doing that. And then on Saturday afternoon, I definitely was having like proper definite um, tightenings and they were kind of showing up on the um, – what's the monetary thing called when I, anyway, on the thing, um, when I had the stomach monitor thing strapped to me. (laughs) So that was quite good. We kind of had an idea that this is working and that's basically what it's meant to do is it's meant to, um, just get things going. And then basically if you don't go into labor naturally or like whatever, just, well, I suppose it's not naturally, but go into Mm -hmm. labor on your own with the drugs, then they will break your waters or use like the little balloon thing. Um, so I was pretty confident that my waters would be able to be broken because that's kind of what my body does and is used to. So, um, on Saturday night, they, Jared was watching the rugby and, um, he kind of like, we kind of joked to the midwife, like after, can we break the waters after the rugby? And then no one came back to after the rugby. So I think they were like, actually took us seriously. But um, that was quite funny because, well, it was fine. And I also traditionally labor and birth at night. So I was actually really keen to be doing it at nighttime. So that suited me really well that um, I think they broke my waters at like 10.30. And when she checked and was like, yeah, we are totally fine to break your waters. It was, yeah, pretty much kind of all on from there. So the induction process for me was, like, really great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Just hung out, um, took the medicine. And like I said, the, this particular medicine, misoprostol, is very new. It was actually brought into New Zealand to be used as something else. And I've since realized that this is what it's really good for. Um, so you do have to sign, I had to sign like waivers and stuff because it's, um, it's not, yeah, they're using it for not what it's intended for. And until it can be like basically approved for that, it's like, mm-hmm. you have to yeah sign your life away. <laughs> um, but like amazed that I believe they've had like such great success throughout the country with it. And also at Christchurch Women's, um, like I'm pretty sure that was the t- statistic a doctor gave us that because it's so much gentler um, and less invasive. I think that their preferred yes. method before this was the gel, which you're obviously getting put in your on your cervix, like an internal, quite often. Um, so this is like why this is now the preferred method. So mm-hmm. I had a great time being induced, anyone listening. Um, it was a very just, I yeah. think it's mindset as well and that for me is a real birthing mantra is it's um, the whole experience of developing preeclampsia and being induced and being told I had to have a hospital birth. None of that was a negative for me because my mindset mm-hmm. was in such a good place. Um, and also I really trusted my midwife. I think that's a really important yeah. uh, thing to talk about is 
I really, really rate and love and trust and have so much time and respect for my midwife. And so I felt really safe in hospital, which is odd because most people feel safer in hospital. Um, But I felt safe Mm -hmm. in hospital because I had her. If I hadn't had her, it it would have been a completely different story, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Um, And do you want to talk us through how your labour progressed from there then and then into your birth story, who was in the room? Um, Yeah, would love to hear all about that. Yeah, so um, at that point we kind of had like a bit of an arrangement that my midwife, since from when I was admitted to hospital, we kind of had like a bit of an arrangement where my midwife would be the point of call for Tess and Dan. Um, and she would update them. I think that I just, that was probably one of the only stresses that I took on because I guess I'm empathetic <laughs> sometimes. Um, but I, I, I took on a bit of stress like about how Tess and Dan were feeling and um, I couldn't not kind of think about them and I found it really hard to switch off from like how hard it must be for them and like, um, and things like that and just, so to, I became concerned, especially after reading Anime's Guide to Childbirth, um, that my thoughts and where I was at mentally around Tess and Dan and how they were feeling would potentially mm-hmm. stall or have an impact on my labour because I 100% believe that can happen. So I was really conscious for a good couple of weeks of um, – just where I was at with that and communicating that to my midwife and communicating that with Tess and Dan. Um, Tess had obviously a lot of birth trauma uh, from her birth with Indy and I became quite worried that that would come into play in my birthing space and I would pick Mm. up on that energy, um, which sounds so odd, but I, this is, this is where I was at. And so, um, we had a conversation with Tess and Dan and the midwife about that and, um, like kind of had a bit of a plan in place in case uh it you know that did kind of happen um and just so that I had protected my birthing space which I think is really important I was really conscious of that the whole time because it wasn't just your average kind of birth um so so yeah we had that kind of like loose agreement in place that the midwife would be the new point of call just so that I could really focus on um myself and my energy and things having changed and um I rely really heavily on Jared and in, in labor and and birth and I knew that so that was always something I again had verbalized um so the our midwife Hef was kind of like this is about you and Jared and mm-hmm. then it's about Tess and Dan we've got to get you two through this um and that's exactly what it was like so uh they broke my waters at um like I said I think it was about 10 10 30 and I very quickly uh started contractions <laughs> bang bang on top of each other so that was amazing because I was like shit yeah we're getting the show on the road but um my midwife wasn't there at that point and things just started to get a little bit kind of hairy um, with what I wanted and what maybe the hospital staff wanted. Yeah. So um, there was a point where Jared just looked at me and was like, do, do we need to get Hef here? And I was like, yes. And uh, she basically arrived two seconds later. The midwife who was working with us was like, does Hef live nearby? And I was like, not really. And she was like, she got here really quick. Um, but I think she was kind of already on her yeah. way because – 
it did ramp up really quickly and um, as far as my contractions went. So, yeah, there was a little bit of um, of the hospital staff at the time not wanting me to have a water birth, which that was really important um, to me. And so there was a little bit of back and forth for a while there where he, I believe, rang and spoke to a midwife who had said move her into the room with the pool and start filling it up and then that midwife was told absolutely not so then uh, it was kind of like that's when Jared was like we need to get the home girl here um and then it was all handled very well <laughs> without my knowledge but I got moved into I waddled down a hallway with leaking waters um with into a a birthing pool um suite can we call it a suite it was much fancier than when I gave birth in <laughs> North me and Jared were like gobsmacked it was no like birth care but it was also like way fancier than what we had when um we had Rocky seven years ago in Palmerston North um but in all fairness I believe Palmy now has a birth unit centre and also they got a renovation <laughs> so they're probably way cooler again um can I call Pony Cool? I feel like I can't call Pony Cool at all, but that's fine. Anyway, uh, so then we had basically a doctor who I actually believe was like one of the like head kind of people come in and um, I kind of remember her just kind of like reading us our rights, like saying like, this is what you need to know, but we've negotiated. I think this is really important. I don't want to be irresponsible. And I know that you kind of just put a disclaimer before everything, but this is my birth experience. And I think it's really important. And my mum, we had a conversation about this is your birth can be negotiated um, how you want it. So for example, we did have a little bit of pushback to me having a water birth, whereas my midwife was very comfortable and confident with me having a water birth. So there was some negotiations that happened where I had to have extra um, fetal monitoring and I had to have an extra vaginal exams um, and had to be monitored on the um, CTG uh, thing every now and then or whatever. So they had kind of negotiated that and the hospital were happy with that and um myself and Hef were happy with that so I just think it's really important that if I and I think back to Rocky's birth and I was told I couldn't have a water birth with him because my waters had been broken for 24 hours and afterwards I was told because that kind of is what set Mm. me off on a um, medical intervention spiral and uh, afterwards I was told I could have had one so I think it's just really important to kind of know what you want be open to changes like like our situation um, but also be really confident in what you're allowed, what your kind mm. of, I guess, rights are a little bit. There's obviously, I'm a very, I knew exactly what I wanted and how I wanted it, but I'm also not stupid. And if it had come down to it, absolutely not. I understand mm. why, you know, things are in place and you need to do things a certain way. Um, but I'm really glad that I had my midwife in my corner saying she can absolutely do this. Um, so we went down to this big beautiful room um with a pool and it kind of just um I don't know just like had contractions I was really conscious when I had Ruby I got in the pool too early and felt quite sick like just quite hot and like sick and um so I didn't want to get in the pool too early and then my midwife was like no get in there and oh my god it was amazing so I labored um the whole time in the pool I they were able to monitor me the um 
Ziggy's heartbeat when I was in the pool and I only had to get out once for um, a vaginal exam to find out where I was at just to keep the hospital um, up to date with my progress and I yeah it was um, really hard it was a very hard labor Uh, at the time I just remember thinking like this is very painful but I also was fine managing it I also think like I'm so proud of myself and I'm kind of like hesitant to say that but when I look at the photos and the video of Ziggy's birth I am so amazed that I'm so like and calm and um there's never pain in my face like and that's because I was in control the whole time and uh, I remember at one point it just being really painful and I kind of started going ow 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 and so my whole body was giving into that ow 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 and I was tight and I was you know doing what you like clenching what you do when you're in pain and then I remember saying control yourself (laughs) Rebecca and just completely coming out of it um and my midwife is just like that was the most incredible moment because that was the only time you kind of gave into the pain and weren't just like mm-hmm. in total control um and so I we've all agreed everyone in the room has agreed that it was a lot harder because I didn't have the same motivation as yeah. if it was my own children and obviously you've got the motivation because <laughs> you have to get the, the kid out of you like yeah. it's not staying in there at this point but it wasn't the same motivation. And so um, it was really hard, but it was also I, like I was watching the clock and I've never done that with the other two and Rocky's yeah. labor was 37 hours and I was watching the clock and I was just getting a little over it, not in the sense that I was like exhausted or like anything. I was just kind of done, which I think's a fair enough, um, you know, feeling to have at that point when it's not your child. Um, so it was really cool. We had, my mum was there. So there's a bit of a story. I've had people not know the story, which I need to explain. Um, when I was pregnant with Ruby, I read that knitting in labor <laughs> is really good to keep you calm because of the repetitive noise. And um, so my mum knitted through Ruby's labor and then she knitted at my sister's birth and she knitted. And so people are like, oh, look at your mum nervous knitting and I'm like she's well she actually probably was but also we make her do that that's like this thing that she will do till she she will knit for her grandchildren's (laughs) labors if she needs to I could hire her out um so she knitted through Ruby's knitted through my sister's and (laughs) then she was at the fun knitting as well so it's like this little thing um that that we do so uh she was there uh Tess and Dan were there so Again, we'd kind of communicated that absolutely they I wanted them there, they were going to be there, but also there might be moments where I didn't need them there, and so that was they were you know totally fine with that um and then we also had a birth photographer and a videographer um which was absolutely fine. they were amazing. Dave, the videographer, <laughs> he doesn't have children, and I don't think he'd had any experience with childbirth or anything like this and I was he was incredible and he was just like amazed at the end he was just like on cloud nine um and then we had my midwife Heath and we had a one of her student midwife who I had seen um with Heath in my 
prenatal appointments and she um Kirsty she actually is now will be qualified ready to go in the new year and she was the most amazing presence to have in that room my mum Jared we all just like fell in love with her um, and it was really nice having two midwives like that in our situation that weren't necessarily random hospital midwives, even though we had the most amazing midwives when we were in there and, um, you know, hospital midwives. It was really nice knowing that we just had our people. We never had a hospital midwife in for at all the whole labour. It was just Hef and Kirsty. Um, and I am so grateful that that's how yeah. we were able to do it. And it also meant when Ziggy was born, we had two familiar midwives that could one uh, like he stayed with me and yeah, Kirsty yeah. did the Ziggy stuff, so that was really co- quite comforting as well that it wasn't going to be like a random kind of midwife. Um, so we were really well prepared and planned, and like I said, I think that has a huge um impact on how I felt about mm-hmm. changing from a home birth to a hospital birth, is knowing that the people around us would keep it like mum knitting and you know would keep it very much as as. It very much stuck to the birth plan as much as possible. Yeah. It was just in hospital, and that's how I felt. That's how I felt it went. Um, so there was a, a moment where he had to get me out to give me an exam, and so she asked everyone to leave the room, Like, but mum and Jared stayed. And that was also when I was transitioning. So I had two or three contractions outside of the pool, and I was about to get back in. And he said, should I get everyone back in? And my mum just looked at me and said, do you want them to come back in? And I was like, yeah, I don't care. And she was like, Rebecca, I don't think you should have people come back in right now. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, great. And, mm-hmm. you know, like mum's no best. Um, that, that, was, that was when I, then I hopped back in the water and I was transitioning and it was really, really hard and it was, not like emotional, but I was really relying heavily. If you look at the photos and videos, that's when I was really, really relying heavily on just me and Jared and just us and like our bond and his like love for me is what got me like, (laughs) I was really concerned. So one of my big concerns about labor and birth was that I wouldn't have the same oxytocin levels because it's not my child. And I'd read and I know that that's like a big part of, labor and birth and I was so worried about stalling labor I wasn't I shouldn't say I was so worried it was something I had acknowledged and come up with a plan to overcome so I wasn't worried about it because I knew that I can't have worry and stress in there um and so I had kind of said to Jared like if I kiss you you have to like kiss me like because I, I was like you have to replace that like oxytocin that I don't have for the baby it was just myself Jared and my mum and the midwives in the room and I think that that was at the time I was like not super phased by like them not coming back in. I was like, okay, whatever. But now I know how important that was. And I think that even when I was having like a huge surge, I did this thing where I would roll my head up. Um, and this is from Rocky's labor. I've done it with all of them, but I feel like this time I was way more intense. I would roll my head from my neck up like, and draw a wave with my head where it would peak and then I'd roll it back down. Um, and so I was doing this and every time I did that, I was, I would close my eyes and I think that I was closing my eyes because of the people in the room and like feeling quite vulnerable. And I remember being on the bed after the exam and I just remember feeling, and I remember saying like, I feel really like vulnerable. And that was when I was like transitioning. Um, and so 
now that we've kind of debriefed and talked about it with like her midwife, I do believe if everyone had come back into the room at that point, I maybe would have stalled a little bit. And I think I was starting to get tired. I was starting to watch the clock and I was just like, come on, like what Mm. is going on here? Um, And yeah, so they didn't come, no one came back in. And then I very quickly, I feel like it happened so quick that I got to like involuntary kind of pushing mode. And so then kind of before I know it, I remember them saying, um, we'll go and find them because I was getting to the nitty gritty of it. But it was a really nice time to be in that really vulnerable transitional period with just Jared and doing it how we do it and have done it with the other kids. Yeah. And um, like I kind of talked about before the oxytocin thing, like it was just us like so incredibly like in love and like there was just so much like love in that room with just us, which is what we needed because that was that was like replacing the oxytocin for like the baby, um, which some people are probably like, whatever, but that was, I was, yeah. that's, that's what I believe. Um, so then they came back in and I, yeah, I did start pretty like, um, yeah. I just think I've had such beautiful midwifery experiences um, with my, all of my babies. And, um, you know, like you think of like movies <laughs> and, um, and things like that and it's like you're on your back and it's like okay push now and it's like push and you you know but I've never had to have that well I did with Rocky for a reason but I've kind of never had to have that experience and so when I need to start pushing like my midwife was across the other side of the room just like watching kind of thing and it's just such a like primal um involuntary thing for me um and so, yeah, before I knew it, I was doing that. Jared does a great impression of my grunting noise that I make. Um, and they, yeah, Tess was in the pool next to me. I could feel her behind <laughs> me. I didn't look at them. I was very much, I at that point, wasn't um, even, Jared wasn't even in the picture. I was holding a pole and I was just bearing down. Um, and I just found the whole thing really quite peaceful and, I am in between my surges or contractions I was very just alert and aware and would have conversations and it was just a really cool experience to be able to do that and then when I would have a surge I was like you know Jared would be there in a second and I did what I needed to do and then it would kind of just go back to like this chill like normal environment again um but I could feel Tess and I, so my midwife had told her when to kind of hop in the pool and um, I could feel her behind me and she was very emotional. <laughs> she was like, lol, listening to this, but like I could literally hear her like snot crying, but I was so, <laughs> which is like totally fine because she was about to get her baby. But I was like, um, I just didn't want a bar of it. So I was, that's where I just went into this zone where yeah. I couldn't tell there was anyone in the room, including Jared. And I was like, okay, hey, I'm just going to fucking do this. Um, I found pushing way more painful than I did with Ruby. Mm. And um, I remember that when he kind of, he kind of came down. I don't even know how long I pushed for or how many pushes. Ruby was like two or three and it was like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So I kind of expected that. And um, I think Ziggy was a little bit longer, but I did very briefly almost go back to Rocky's birth in my head where I pushed for four hours and he continued, he just came down and then went back up and came down and went back up. 
And so after he did that, Ziggy did that a few times, I was like, fuck, this is going to happen again. And I kind of almost lost myself. Um, But then he came down again and he stayed there. And I was like, oh, great. Now I've got to push him out. And this is literally what I was like, because it's such a different experience when you're not about to meet your child. It was very much, (laughs) dare I say it, a chore at this point. It was like a, let's just get this over and done with, like I'm done. And um, my midwife was like, that is 100% what you were like. Everyone, I think, and well, apart from Tessa Dan, because they were in their own little kind of love bubble about to get their baby. I think most other people in the room could sense, or my people could sense that I was kind of like that a little bit. Um, he also came out with the most perfectly round head. And I <laughs> genuinely believe he did not close down like he's meant to. You know, like how their head, their like skull isn't formed <laughs> properly. He came out with the most perfect, huge, round yeah. head. And I felt that. Um, so I just, once he once his head was out, it was just like, oh my God, the <laughs> biggest relief. And there was no pain after that. It was just like, it was fine. Um, so that kind of like caught me off guard a little bit because I don't know, he had a huge fucking head. Um, but... Yeah, so that was fine. And then um, (laughs) I said the same thing when I birthed Ruby. Like, I panic when when their head's out. And I'm like, hey, can I just pull them out? And everyone's like, no. And my mum said that I did that again. And I know the answer to that. But in the moment, I'm like, I'm done. Let's get this kid out. And then Jared said after maybe, like, another, like, two or three pushes, I literally just, like, he said that Ziggy shot out so quick. Because you could tell, I was just like, I'm out. And I just pulled him out and I was like, see you later. And I, um, I think this is probably the most like anticipated, uh, (laughs) thing that people want to like know and, um, talk about is that when I birthed him, didn't know it was a him at the time, when I birthed him, I just, I didn't even look at him. I just gave him to Tess and it was, um, it was beautiful and emotional. Everyone in the room was crying. For me, I was done, and it was just like Jared said that everyone was crying, and it was, I was just like, "Here's your kid," <laughs> and I was just like, tapped out, checked out. Um, I have, I, I think that people won't like. It's such a hard <laughs> thing to describe. I just didn't feel anything for him, nothing. I didn't feel like it was just such a different experience and quite strange, mm. quite weird. Um, but I just gave him straight to test. <laughs> funny story though so I had like had these like irrational like dreams and fears that it was actually our child which we followed all of the rules and and there was literally no way it could have happened but um Mm -hmm. both Jared and my mum saw his him come out and he had he has really dark hair and both of them literally like stopped breathing and were like holy shit like this is not their kid because Tess and Dan's (laughs) little girl Indy has the most white blonde hair she was born with no (laughs) hair and I was like that it made me laugh so much because I was in there and I could see that he very clearly was not our child but they were just like why has he got dark hair and um they both had that thought which I think is hilarious um and yeah, I just, you know, tested skin to skin with him mm. straight away. Um, she, I basically sat in her lap till we figured it all out because I hate an umbilical cord. And um, I was like, oh, if she got too far away from me, I'd sit back in her lap basically. Um, but it was just, I, I was exhausted. <laughs> it wasn't, I think I did picture it to be more like, all I would be emotional and like this beautiful moment which it was but at the same time I was so exhausted and I just was like cool 
and was just like I've said five times just done um so yeah I had the most incredible birth exactly how I planned for it exactly how I wanted it um and yeah I could not like being in hospital was not an issue um my mindset was right the whole time for a birthing someone else's child but also the change of plans and you know and things that could have led down a spiral of medical intervention and um things like that so yeah it was amazing but I did yeah like you watch surrogacy videos and things like that and everyone's crying and it's like this like oh and I just didn't have that I was just like I'm out thanks so much yeah yeah and you had some pretty serious post post um birth complications didn't you yeah so um when I so then we they were the hospital were pretty keen for me to birth the placenta quite quickly so we did delayed cord clamping um and then as soon as that was probably a little bit shorter than maybe um I remember my midwife saying just check the like cord as it stopped pulsing and Tess was kind of like oh I don't really know like because she didn't have that type of experience for Indy's birth Mm. and so I was like I hate umbilical cords and I was like oh fine I'll touch it and I just like grabbed it like gently and I was like yes (laughs) I did and I was just like so then um Dan cut the cord which was really cool and um I just really wanted them to have an, an amazing birth experience that they didn't get with their first birth as well so that was something that I was so happy that they were also able to experience it wasn't just about Mm. me and my experience but also like you know Tess never got to do skin to skin with and Tess with Indy and um all of those things it was such a serious situation for her so uh yeah it started going downhill for me but I'm so glad that we were able to have those moments as well for them more than me um so yeah we got I got out of the pool and I knew I was going to be given the injection to birth the placenta because that was one of the negotiations with the hospital um and so I got that and I was lying on the bed and um everything was still fine and but the cord was starting to break it was a very I don't want to say odd because I feel like that's disrespectful and a placenta or a fenua is such an incredible organ um but it was starting to the cord was coming away so I remembered being told to cough and I was like this is the last fucking thing I want to do <laughs> um, like my insides are going to fall out so I, I had to, I was told to cough um, and I it was like okay cough again I was like ah and um, so coughing is what t- brought the placenta away from my uterus wall or whatever and then um it's very interesting so the placenta was basically the exact same as what indies was and it was very unusual so it had um like two parts it had an extra lobe is what i think they called it and it was like i remember my midwife saying like this is going to be so interesting to show to like other like the the doctors that were working and Mm. other midwives because it wasn't your average placenta so there's a couple of like factors like that the fact that it was the same as Indies um which is obviously Tess and Dan's genetics um because the placenta comes from the baby essentially uh so Mm. that was fine still and then um I didn't have I had a tiny little tear which was fine and it didn't need stitches it was going to be able to just um like very cleanly heal itself which is the same as what I had with Ruby 
so that was fine and I was like fuck yeah I didn't even like that head was huge and I still came out alright <laughs> um and then everything was totally fine my mum left and um the birth photographer the videographer everyone left and Jared took me to have a shower and he said to me that looks like a lot of blood and I was like nah it's just like and I'm in a shower and this is like normal postpartum bleeding it's just that the shower's making it look worse and I was like washing my hair like I was like having a good shower and then (laughs) I just said I don't feel well and looked in the mirror and I was like yellow and so he got me out of the shower like super quickly and called the midwife and was like something's not right Mm. and then I don't know it was weird like I was just so again like not naive but I was so chill I was just like I just need to eat like I felt like what you feel like if you you know stand up too quick or you've had like a you know like that light he did but I didn't think anything was wrong so Jared we had some um good old countdown sent me a care package and we had some like uh, jet planes (laughs) and stuff and so he kind of we were just trying to get my like blood sugar up I guess and so I was eating those Mm. and um, Tess and Dan had uh, sent me a bacon egg McMuffin combo the day before and they'd sent one for Jared <laughs> but he was out so I ate both hash browns both drinks but I only ate one McMuffin bacon egg McMuffin so he'd kept it and he was like I'll go heat it up and I was like that is disgusting it's gonna be like a plastic rubbery anyway he went and heated it up and when he came back it was the best thing I've ever eaten in my life <laughs> so I'm like chaffing a bacon egg McMuffin um, and then the midwife made me like two pieces of toast and he's like dangling I'm so sick at this point like everything I'm just completely like yellow and he's dangling jam toast over my face as I like eat it and he said it was just like watching Ruby when she came out of getting her grommets done and eating a sandwich for the first time we've got a video of her like smashing a sandwich in her face and that's what I was doing and then he gave me a milo and a straw so we're like doing all of these things and then actually it got quite bad and they realized obviously why I was feeling like I was so then we had um I just don't really I just remember being so calm and like happy about everything like I never panicked I was like so then the uh, the doctors or whatever came in the obstetricians whatever and were like I couldn't remember feeling the blood gushing out of me but still thinking it was just normal like because you know when you've got a pad you can feel it anyway and so Mm. I was like it's still like all fine like everything's normal and then um I realized they were basically like this is not normal you're not okay um and they started clearing blood clots out of me which was a very interesting experience I um don't know if anyone else is I'm sure many people have had this done but basically a doctor came in and she started scooping blood and blood clots out of my vagina and I'm not gonna like eerie theory this it was horrific it was incredibly painful she basically had her whole hand in my post-birth vagina very roughly clearing me out and I like I understand that it needed to be done um however maybe it didn't need to be done and like I wasn't offered gas or any pain relief or anything like that I was just holding Jared's hand in the most pain I've ever been in in my life um and yeah it was just a really weird experience Jared was uh they would make him move from one side of the bed to the other because they obviously needed to like get to different sides of me Mm -hmm. and every time he walked around the end of the bed 
he would just have to look and that was very traumatizing for him and he works in a job where he sees uh a lot of kind of gore and blood and things like that mm-hmm. and he yeah he, he had to look at that and really struggled with it and just said it was just like clots just being like raped out of me um so basically they did that it was definitely more traumatic for Jared than it was for me but at the same time like I said it was a very I just think that I am not traumatized by it whatsoever I'm 100% fine with it but I just think that had that been someone else it would have been super traumatizing um having that experience so yeah it's quite interesting I think that I'm just really odd and I find it all very (laughs) interesting so Yeah. yeah but um so then they kind of weighed that and were like okay you've lost like a liter of blood or whatever and then um they thought that they'd they basically gave me after she'd kind of cleaned me up they gave me some drugs I had IV stuff put into an IV I had injections and I also had again she put stuff up my bum which was very very rough that was really painful as well mm. um and then that they gave me 15 minutes for those things to work and if they didn't then we started talking about surgery so I had to sign consent forms for um just normal surgery uh, for if they had to give me like actual surgery surgery with like an incision surgery because uh, the the goal was to be able to do it vaginally and then um, I so I signed and then I also signed consent forms for a hysterectomy because they obviously didn't know how bad it was going to be yeah. so when I that was fine and then they were like yeah it's not it was also really busy and like the alarms were just going off like constantly so it was constantly people in and out of the room because they had other um women to go and deal with so then uh, it was obviously decided that I would need surgery um and I just remember being really calm because I didn't feel like it was really bad like I uh, they were worried that the, there was still some placenta in me, which I was quite confident there wasn't because I was really confident in my midwife um, and her like abilities as a midwife. Mm. And she, I know she had checked the placenta really thoroughly. Um, and then, yeah, so they then decided that I would need surgery and there was talk of a spinal tap, which is totally fine. But also that's when I started to be a bit nervous because I don't love needles. And I'd already had at this point, I had three IV lines in me and was kind of a bit of a pin cushion. But Mm. I really want to as well. um, And I messaged both these people. I think part of the reason why I was so okay and calm with the situation was because of my confidence and knowledge that I'd gained through Morgan Edwards on Instagram Mm -hmm. so I I understood what was kind of happening and I was less scared of a say epidural or a spinal tap than I would have been two years ago because of the work and that you know the effort and passion that she puts into her job and sharing that with us on the internet and then the other person I also thought of at the time was um Oh, Heather, but what's her last name? Oh, Johnston. Her last name. Um, Who's a doctor in Wellington. And I also 
yeah, like drew on her a little bit because of the same thing, her passion for kind of women's health and what yeah. she does. And so I just wanted to say that because I 100% have broadened my knowledge of mm. cesareans and um, uh, anesthesia or whatever it's called <laughs> uh, through <laughs> those people and especially yeah. um, Morgan or Dr. Morgan Edwards. So yeah, that was really interesting as well that I did that at the time and it was very calming for me. So then we had the anaesthetist come in and he was just immediately like, what do you think about general anaesthetic? And I was like, sign me up. Yes, please. Thank you. Uh, and that's when <laughs> I was like, we're good. And he was just like, you don't have a baby to look after when you come off this. You don't, um, we don't know what we're going to find in there. So if we have completely knocked you out, it's like easier kind of for them as well. Mm. And I was like, you don't need to convince me, mate. Get me in there. <laughs> um, and Jared said that he knew that I was fine when we kind of started like bantering and joking, me and this anaesthetist guy. And because I do, I do humor when I'm like, that's how I cope with things. And so mm-hmm. if people are like awkward and not humorous back to me, I'm like, oh, who are you? And he <laughs> was um, like, I said to him, I was like, I'm never doing anything nice for anyone ever again. And he was like, yeah, you're good. Um, <laughs> so then I went into surgery and I was very calm and relaxed about it all. Um, and yeah, I just remember the um, oxygen and then that's all. And then I remember waking up in recovery. And it was quite funny because the, we had the most incredible hospital midwife look after us that day, right from when I started bleeding um, through till the end of the day. And she said to me, I'll go get Jared. And I was like, yeah, cool. And then she came back and she's like, I'm so sorry, but we can't wake him up. And I was like, honestly, it's fine. Like, He's been up and, you know, done the mahi as well. Like, he's, I'm fine, so let him sleep. And then she tried, they tried like five times to wake him up and he would not wake up. (laughs) And then when he did wake up, he, someone found him in the hallway because he remembered people trying to wake him up and he didn't know how long it had been. And he was like, holy shit, like, where's Rebecca? And like, he was like, total panic mode because he was like, has it been like half a day and she's just on her own? And then someone was like, Jared, and took him to me, like found him in the hallway, like a little lost puppy. Um, <laughs> and I think that the, that experience was probably, no, definitely more uh, traumatic and hard for him than yeah. it was for me. Um, you know, he saw the extent of what was happening mm-hmm. and then had me taken into surgery and um, that was really hard for him. But yeah, then I came out and... Um, was so they found a large blood clot that was why my I don't really know this is the problem I don't ask questions but I think that was stopping my uterus from like contracting back down so then the bleeding wouldn't stop um and then I think I had an internal tear and they also sturtured is that the word an external tear um Mm -hmm. which I know I didn't have before I was raped of blood clots so that kind of shows the extent of um you know, of them getting the blood clots out of me. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what happened. I It's recorded in my medical notes that I lost 2.2 litres of blood, um, yeah. which I was like, eh. And then my friend was like, Rebecca, your body only has like four and a half, five litres. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, and they also don't know, I like lost a, probably quite a lot in the shower before mm-hmm. we realised what was happening um so yeah I 
lost a reasonable amount of blood and then was given um, one unit of blood when I was in recovery and then uh, they checked my hemoglobins, I think that's what they're called, my blood levels or whatever. And um, after surgery, when they'd given me one unit, I had gone, I was on 80 and then the next day when they tested me, I was down to 70-something. And I think that 120 for a woman is low. So I was mm-hmm. very, very low. Um, and then when I left hospital, I was 86 or 84. So still incredibly um, low. And I think that recovery-wise, that's what I've struggled with the most. Yeah. I was really unprepared for... Um, like my knowledge of postpartum hemorrhaging was very little and I didn't realize um the recovery and I just think as well you know that wasn't for and I don't want to say anything that would upset like Tess or Dan and I know that they won't be because the like but I also want to be really honest it's I think I've struggled with the fact that now my family is suffering a little bit Mm. um and that's not that didn't happen because of my you know, like I don't have a baby yeah, yeah. to be like, oh, but I've got a baby. Um, so I think that mentally that's probably like been my biggest struggle and just not realizing the rec- I I think that in my head when I was pregnant, I'm so like jokey and like chill that it was like, I'm just going to like not bounce back because yeah, I don't yeah. expect to do that. But I think I genuinely thought that I would just have their baby and like get on with my life and like be hanging out with my friends like immediately mm. and I guess because that also has been my experience with like the other two kids like yeah, yeah you're yeah. sore and you've given birth but you still are like okay and so when I kind of wasn't okay so I stayed in hospital for a full week all up from being admitted to leaving um that was really hard because I hadn't prepared myself for that mm. and, and we hadn't prepared the kids for that I think that's a big part of it is I was having a home birth I was going to go mm. to bed like have the baby have a sleep and then be there when my kids woke up or whatever um and so when that didn't happen that was really really hard on my children as far as the surrogacy goes we're all fine like the kids are so fine they could not care less about Ziggy not coming (laughs) home like I could not care like I genuinely I think people are very interested in this because they almost want to catch me out and like don't believe it but from the moment I became impregnated with Ziggy and when I gave birth I feel nothing for that child in the Mm. nicest way possible (laughs) I feel like my friend has had a baby and I'm like cool I'm so happy you had a baby my body feels like it's given birth but I don't mentally feel like I kind of gave birth and I think that again if we're being like brutally honest and it sounds maybe a bit callous but like this was almost always a transaction for me and yeah, that's yeah. probably a horrible way to describe a child being born and wanted and loved and all of that but that's the easiest way to explain it is I was very mentally always in the right place with it being like a transaction like this is what we're doing and then I'm going to give you your child yeah um and so I've had the best postpartum recovery in that sense that I've not longed for a child mm-hmm. or felt anything like I've only seen him you know at the hospital and then once since then I think they're gonna come visit today though um you know like it's that's not an issue for me my children my anyone but we didn't prepare the kids for the fact that I could be in hospital all of a sudden for a week and that's a lot for like a kid to try and understand um and yeah so that was really hard and I think as well I became 
quite just stressed without anyone making me feel stressed it's hard to Mm. not yeah okay awesome and another question that um, has come through heaps is about the hemorrhoids postpartum so um, do you want to talk us through I guess how you found that this time around and did you get them with both of the other kids and yeah what's your recovery sort of been like um, with hemorrhoids because I know that it's really common but a lot of us don't talk about it yeah, so um, <laughs> love the hemorrhoid. Um, I don't remember getting them with Rocky, but I think I got this other thing, which is called like a yeah. fiscue or something, which is like a skin tag. I remember um, saying to my midwife, like, I've got this thing like hanging out <laughs> in my bum. And then, well, I didn't know if it was my butt. And then, because I got an episiotomy, so I got stitches with Rocky, I was like, I'm pretty sure they've stitched me up wrong. And there's like a lick. And she was like, I don't think so. So anyway, she looked at it. And she was like, hmm, okay. And I was like, that's not very comforting. Um, And anyway, she just gave me a cream and it went away. So I think that it probably was like Mm. a different type of a hemorrhoid. So I've had the whole family. And then with Ruby, I got them after birth and I actually I must have got them like later or not really noticed them till later though because I went to my GP I don't um remember speaking to my midwife about it so that makes me think it was after I was like discharged from my midwife um care so the same thing I went to a doctor and yeah he was like oh so I was like thank you um and he gave me a cream and they went away like no issues but I think like between now and then I have kind of had them like come and go a little bit but like they were fine and then so when I was pregnant with Ziggy I could definitely tell that they were like there and resurfacing so I'd kind of like said to my midwife like this is something I'm Mm. worried about post-birth and so she was like well like I can check immediately after birth and put them back up there and like we'll give you a thing and then you just kind of cross your legs and stuff and I was like great that sounds (laughs) great so um that's that's what we did and I can immediately when she checked me and was like no you don't need stitches and then she was like we're gonna whack these babies back up there and so they did that and that was when um but then, uh, again, I truly believe that the roughness yeah. of the other doctor actually had something to do with maybe the fact that they were then, now yeah. they're very prominent. Um, but I never had pain with them, with the other kids, and I am in agony uh, at the moment. They are mm. horrendously painful. I can't sit down, like, walking around. I've got, like, a carrot <laughs> up my ass, like... It's, I just, this is like next level. And I always feel like I've manifested them because I talked about them so much from the other, like just on the internet. And now I'm experiencing very, I've just put some tampons in the freezer because someone said, you don't stick them up your butt, but you just put them like in your butt crack. (laughs) So I'm, I just don't even know what to do. I'm currently using a cream prescribed by the midwife and I'm um, using are they yep. called suppositories or um so I stick those up there as well but I don't know I'm still in a lot of pain. like I wake up in the night um in pain and yeah. take pain relief that's how bad they are so I will just watch this space um I think that the two the cream and the suppository things which are like little bullets are hilarious um I've become very familiar yeah. with my asshole in the last like few days <laughs> But they, I definitely think that combo has like helped, but I'm still in a lot of pain. So I guess I just yeah. need to monitor it. And um, I just also feel like 
they're definitely like external and I just don't know if mm. they're gonna go away yeah. on their own so uh, yeah watch this space come check <laughs> in I'll tell you on Instagram how yeah. I'm going but I'm just amazed at how many people don't realize you can yeah. actually get treatment um for them and yes mine might be so extreme this time that I need to seek extra treatment but for the other ones it was like literally a cream and they went away and for people to message and be like I didn't even know you could get a cream for hemorrhoids I'm like we are not talking about this postpartum care often enough um so yeah that just kind of blew my mind and and people probably sick (laughs) of me talking about my shit and my asshole but I'm so committed to this because it's so concerning that um, you know, people don't know. And then I've had people say that they've talked to their, they've been nine yeah. weeks of agony and they've finally mm. like talked to their midwife or, or, um, sought healthcare advice. But yeah, it's just, that's quite wild for me that we don't talk about things enough that people don't even know what yeah. they are or how to treat them when they're so common and not just for birth because, um, it's not necessarily a no. pushing thing either. It's like, you know, a lot of people get them. Yes, yeah during pregnancy people can have c-sections and still get them um and even in my dms right now the best advice are coming from people that have them without having children so um these are like you know young women and young people that have got um hemorrhoids and been dealing with them and Mm. they don't even have children so yeah i think it's just like reignited my passion of like um, just not giving a fuck yeah. and telling yeah. everyone everything, whether <laughs> they like it or not, because that's kind of why I yeah. started what I do. Um, and yeah, it's just like, I'm not going to pretend everything. I don't know. I, every, and I'm very careful because I know that some people's reality is to just yeah. like bounce back or, um, you know, but at the same time, basically everyone I follow that has had babies recently has yeah. like made it look easy and it might be easy for them. Like I'm not saying that that's, you know, the wrong thing, but it's not, this has not been easy for me. And, um, I think it's really important as well though, because people like to label me and put me in the box of like, it's not easy because you've given up a child. No. That's not what's happened. It's actually the other stuff that's not easy for me. The Ziggy situation has been the easiest yeah. thing yeah. out of yeah, it. Yeah, I think um, definitely that's important yeah. to make sure everyone understands that it's not to do with the surrogacy. It's Honestly. to do with the, the postpartum um, sort of yeah. birth complications. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and then like the the hormones and um, I don't think I cried yesterday, and that's like eight or yeah. nine days post birth. Yeah, that's so pretty that's good. Exciting, um, but you've just got yeah. the hormones still, and it's just like I dropped my butter like container and smashed it this morning, and I didn't cry about <laughs> that. So that's I've just realised yeah, what a yeah. milestone that is. Even though Ruby said to me, you should have got dad to do that because you're still very slippery. And I was like, what does that even mean? Um, so, yeah, I think that the hormones and the tears and all of that, which is so normal, has actually been for a multitude yeah. of other reasons than yeah, having someone yeah, else's baby. Yeah, no, fair enough. Awesome. And I think um, just as we close, like I, get, I had a lot of the questions that came through were around advice for other people who might be considering um, being a surrogate for a family. So is there any like one piece of advice that you would give to families that are considering this before we um, close up? Um, <laughs> uh, 
so like maybe like top three bits of advice I've kind of already said it but like you need to have yep. everyone around you on board you cannot do this without like I just keep thinking imagine if I got PT yeah. earlier and had to be in hospital for like a couple of weeks or something and I was on bed rest um and if we didn't have my family and our friends and then obviously Jared like or yeah and they have to be willing I don't know if I'd use that word but like they do have to be willing to kind of do it um so that's been really important um and then again it sounds so harsh but like you genuinely just have to disconnect completely which is what Mm. I was able to do um right from the start it was like you have this baby inside you that you like will nourish and like nurture and protect and do what you would for your normal children or your own children but you still have to be able to yeah. completely switch off from it and I 100% yeah. did that like right ask anyone that knows me that was never kind of an issue because it was um the way I viewed it was definitely not yeah. that yeah it was yeah. very transactional um like I'm doing this for someone and that's really all there is to it um so yeah you definitely it's like mindset I think is like my biggest advice if you don't think you could do that and get into that mindset then it's going to be a lot harder I think for us as well it was easier doing it for someone we didn't like really know like not a family member um that's my personal preference I also think that at the start I thought them living in Wellington would be like a a con but after doing this I actually mm. think it was a pro and not because we didn't want to like hang out with them or spend time with them but I think that we both still had our yeah. lives to kind of live and I have children they have Indy and it actually probably made it easier like not having yeah, to like set yeah. boundaries or like feeling the pressure of like how often do we see each other and like stuff like that um so that I think actually did work quite well um so probably yeah. both of us and at the start I thought that would be a really yeah. like negative like con but now I actually think it was a real um a yeah. positive thing that we kind of were just able to get on with our lives and and um yeah, yeah get to the end so those are probably my top yeah. three things but also communication like you need to make sure that you and the intending parents are on the same page and are communicating everything and are comfortable with everything because it's only going to get harder when yeah. there's a baby yeah. involved. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's probably it, though. Just do it. It's great. It's totally yeah, fine. Awesome. Well, I mean, um, you shared so much information with us, Rebecca, and I'm super grateful. So thank you um, for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories. And I'm really hopeful that we'll get Tess and Dan um, on the podcast at some stage too because I'd love to sort of hear it from their side too. Yes, yeah. I know they're real keen. But I'm, yeah, just super grateful to you for taking the time this morning and talking with me. So thank you. That's okay. Thanks for having me. I feel like I've got the record for the two longest podcasts you've ever done. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's, um, it's great. I'm can guarantee everyone will be super happy that you've shared so much information. So yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was great. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you've loved it. I would love for you to share where you've been listening, tag me in your stories at Kiwi Birth Tales, and another huge thank you to Noopy for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Absolutely love their nappies and their baby wipes and would love for you to go and check them out, so I'll make sure that I tag them in the show notes. 
Awesome. Talk to you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.